Time is running short, so we'll go straight to our sermon text. Luke 11, verse 37. on page 1615 for using the pew bible in front of you God's word given to us for our good let us give our attention to its reading when Jesus had finished speaking a Pharisee invited him to eat with him so he went in and reclined at the table but the Pharisee Noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal was surprised. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, But you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you. Because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Grass withers and the flower fades. God's word endures forever. Amen. If a parent sends a young child out to mow the lawn, and the the whole time not only is the the youngster grumbling, but... um, being defiant with his actions, flailing his arms about, making it very clear that he is extremely displeased, usually the parent will not be happy just because the lawn gets mowed. That is, that kind of action, of course, it's not obedience, and it's not submission. It is simply acting to one's own advantage, recognizing that you, you don't want to mow the lawn and you're going to have a bad attitude while doing it, but you might as well do it so as to prevent getting grounded or taking, having privileges taken away, anything like that. 
The mere outward following of rules, however, leaves the parent disappointed. It leaves the parent wondering about the heart of the child and and why he or she is being so defiant, even while carrying out an outward obedience uh, of what has been demanded of them. In tonight's passage, we encounter Jesus teaching the religious leaders of Israel about the fatal flaw in their basic approach to life and to God. This is not to all Pharisees and teachers of the law necessarily, but they carry in themselves a, a common thread, and that is this. They live with a fundamental disconnect between the outward fulfillment of obligations and inward life and fellowship with God. Jesus speaks here in this passage to address just this, this flaw in their distinguishing between these two. His rebukes are warnings, but these warnings are not going to be heeded by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. In fact, it sets Jesus in fierce opposition to them. Never has he, up to this point in Luke, has he uttered these kinds of rebukes. And this will Um, This is a place of divergence in the Gospel of Luke where we see finally the Pharisees and the teachers of the the law setting their minds uh, to be opposed to Jesus. We consider this passage tonight that we might see in Jesus Christ the true medicine and healing for our souls. The need to look beyond outward fulfillment or outward obligation and into the heart. The beauty of Jesus is that in showing us the need for a more holistic view of ourselves, needing to view ourselves in terms of of outward obligation and fulfilling duty, and then also inward states of the heart, he also provides the very transformation, the very righteousness that we need to serve God in the way that he demands. Thus, Jesus demands a, a deeper view of the law, but then he provides the righteousness and the transformation which he demands. While he criticizes the Pharisees and the teachers of the law for prohibiting others from entering the kingdom of God, taking away their key of knowledge, Jesus himself shows not only how to enter the kingdom, but that he himself is how we enter. And he does so as he bears the reproach of his enemies. We begin in verse 37 where we see the phrase, when he had finished saying these things, and this uh, is one of those reminders in Luke that we need to keep in mind the previous passage. He's saying that in some way these two will connect. What we have just looked at will connect to what is before us tonight. The previous passage, Jesus, remember, was teaching about the centrality, the sufficiency, the authority of his teaching, and also the word of God. A couple of things from that passage specifically to keep in mind. The first is the metaphor Jesus uses about eyes and light and darkness. Good eyes receive the light of God's word and everything within them is illuminated as they receive the light of God's word. While bad eyes do not receive the light of the word of God and what is inside of the body with a bad eye remains in the darkness In this passage, Jesus will make a reference to the inside of the Pharisees, and he will call it evil or bad. It will be the same word that he used in verse 34 when talking about the eyes. Another thing to keep in mind is the way Jesus talked about this generation 
in the previous passage. This generation was those who demanded a sign, those who did not receive the teaching of Jesus as authoritative, but wanted the kind of evidence that they demanded. Give us a sign and give us the, sign, the kind of sign uh, that we want. These religious leaders of Israel will show themselves to be exactly the kind of people that you would include in this generation. So those rebukes by Jesus will apply to them as well. They will not listen to God's word, and Jesus will show this in the way that he characterizes the way that they have treated the prophets. They, they fall in line with all of those who have rejected God's prophets up until this time, and uh, that is one way that he condemns their actions. Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's home to eat, and the controversy begins right from the start, and Jesus does not take part in this washing of his hands. The ceremony in question, of course, comes from the Old Testament. And this commandment, this ceremony, was something that if you, if you read in Exodus and Leviticus, it applies only to priests. The issue by Jesus' time, however, is that the Pharisees had expanded uh, a lot of these commandments in their tradition uh, and this particular one, they expanded it to include not only the priests, but everyone. Everyone had been taught in the tradition of the Pharisees to take part in these ceremonial washings. Now, also in the Old Testament, it only has to do with holy rituals. It only has to do with priests who are performing these sacred duties. But the Pharisees had it include all people rather than just the priests. And they would say, do it all of the time. Before every meal, not just, uh, not just when you are having to do when you're doing something that has to do with uh, religious rituals or something like that, but do it at every meal. Thus, Jesus does not disobey the law here, but he does depart from the tradition of the Pharisees, which they had set up over many, many years. The tradition itself was a ceremonial pouring of the water over the hands. They would pour the water over the hands. And the, the, the verb that we find here in this passage is the verb for baptize. Interestingly enough, it shows us that the word baptize doesn't always mean to immerse. It can mean uh, to pour. But what we might mention here is the source of the tradition itself. The, the Pharisees uh, are employing a, shall we say, better safe than sorry kind of tradition in, or approach to tradition and God's word. Flood all aspects with your like, life with provisions so that you will uh, always be clean, that you will never be in danger of becoming unclean. Wash when you come and when you go, when you sleep and when you wake up. Just make sure you're always covered. Have all kinds of provisions in the tradition so that you can always make sure that you are clean, almost like uh, people who carry around little containers of hand sanitizer nowadays, and they're never far away uh, from another cleansing, another washing. Now, of course, uh, this year, this winter, and probably all winters now, that's a pretty good idea. I'm not saying that that's bad at all. But that brings us to Jesus' response in verse 39. He rebukes this better safe than sorry approach to the law and all that has given rise to the tradition of the Pharisees. The main point of Jesus' response is this. It is senseless, 
It is useless to be, so, to be so concerned with outward cleanliness if you ignore the overall health of not just your body, but your soul as well. It's useless to be so concerned if you neglect the care of your soul. Pharisaical traditions like these took account of the outward cleanliness which God advises and commands in his law. But Jesus forces them to think deeper, doesn't he? He asks, who has made both the outside and the inside? Where do those come from? In this, he points out an absurdity in the method of the Pharisees, doesn't he? Because in being so abundantly concerned with remaining ceremonially clean, they're showing that they have a concern with how they conduct themselves before God. But yet, they're failing to connect key dots. For the God who created our bodies also created our souls. He gives us an immaterial existence that is to be oriented towards him as well and is itself to maintain a cleanliness and a right, and a, and a right posture before God, a right position before God. Thus, Jesus points us to the unity of the person, not just body and mind, but soul, And the need for both to be united in service to God. It's not only that. He also teaches us what is more basic in our lives as they exist before God. What is the more important component? The spiritual aspect of who you are before God or the physical? It is inward soul health, isn't it? And that's what Jesus teaches us here. What exists inside of us is more determinative of our overall health than what is on the outside. This is why Jesus uses this beautiful expression in verse 41. Give what is inside of you to the poor. Give it as alms, we might translate it. Before you worry about your outward cleanliness, offer yourself from the inside. And give that up out of charity. There's a good example of Jesus teaching something similar to this in Matthew 15. That the health of our souls determines the overall health of our person. In Matthew 15 we read this. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Interesting how much that connects to what we're talking about tonight. So brothers and sisters, look inside yourself tonight and evaluate the health of your soul. And when you do that... Don't linger too long before you look to the physician and the medicine of our souls, Jesus Christ. He says, come to me. Come to me, all who labor, all who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And when you behold Jesus, who is the health, the physician, the medicine of your soul, rejoice. Rejoice, for he is a good God. He is a good Savior. One reformer put it this way when he said, As a man cured of an old disease, how glad and thankful is the one healed by Jesus Christ. And so say, I will tell you what God has done for my soul. He has cured me of an old disease, a hard, unbelieving heart, a disease that sent millions to hell. Truly, 
we may cheerfully bear any other sickness if our soul sickness has been cured. If we have Christ, if we have Christ who is the righteousness that we need before God, the washing away of all of our sins, anything else we can bear, for he has given us the health of our souls. In the next three verses, Jesus vocalizes Uh, His disapproval of the way of such Pharisees who clean the outside and yet forget to think about the inside. He gives these woes. And woes are the opposite of blessings. See, in other places, Jesus says, blessed are. A woe would be exactly the opposite. The first woe has to do with tithing. And this is obviously an outward action. And Jesus shows how it can easily become a problem for the Pharisees. He speaks of tithing with herbs. The herbs he mentions are very small herbs, mint and rue, and that is intentional, intentional use of these small herbs because while uh, they are tithing these very small herbs, the things that they're missing are not small matters at all. The love and the justice of God are not small things. We might call this uh, missing the forest for the trees or making mountains out of molehills. And Jesus' point is clear and easy to see. This is what he's teaching us. Being occupied with minutia like herb tithing will obscure our sight to see the bigger and the more important issues of our lives. It would be like using a microscope for your daily glasses, right? If you carry around a microscope before your face, you're going to be able to, you'd have the ability to see very small things. But it would obscure your sight. You would not be able to see things generally or normally. Jesus says tithing is a good practice, but we need to make sure that it has the proper place in our lives. So this woe, along with Jesus' instruction to pay attention to our souls, to think about the health of our souls first, before we think about the outside, reminds us of his famous teaching, doesn't it? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things will be added unto you. See, Jesus is not rebuking tithing. In fact, he says that it's a good thing to do and to continue to do it. But he says it must come, flow forth out of What is inside of you? Address the needs of your soul in relation to God. Properly put the love and the justice of God at the center of your minds. If you miss the justice of God, what will you miss? You'll miss the depth of your sin. You you will miss uh, how desperately you need the salvation that God offers in the gospel. If you miss the justice of God, if you miss the love of God, what will you miss? You will miss how all that he has done for you compels you to give yourself in devotion to God. You cannot miss the love and the justice of God thinking about tithing your mint and your rue. The second woe Jesus pronounces upon them is a criticism of their preoccupation with rituals or ceremonies which give them a public place of prominence. They love the privileged place in society that they occupy or that they're recognized to have because of these rituals. Why is this so worthy of criticism of Jesus, because it places the recognition of men, the honor that men give above the recognition of God. It's no accident that Jesus says they love the recognition that they receive when what is the exact thing that they have forgotten? 
the love of God. See, they're replacing the love of that with what they should be loving, what they should be seeking, God. This teaches us another important point. Their love of service to God and our love of service to God becomes burdensome when primary importance is placed upon lower things. When we have our priorities mixed up, service of God and love of Him will become burdensome. True inward love of God and service to Him will become a burden to us if we allow our ultimate loves and loyalties to be misplaced. If we're treasuring something other than our great God above all else. God has told us what we are to seek, how we are to live, how we are to serve him. He has told you, O man, what is good. You are to seek justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This third woe is shocking, to say the least, for the Pharisees. Woe to you, he says, because you are like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. Now, walking over an unmarked grave without knowing it in that time in Israel would have made someone unclean. We see this in in Numbers and in Leviticus. And so what is Jesus saying to these Pharisees? He's saying, you're obsessed with remaining clean. You're obsessed with having all of this in your tradition, or this better safe than sorry mentality. Meanwhile, you are a cancerous infection to everyone around you. Everyone who comes in contact with you is becoming unclean because of your level of uncleanliness. He turns it around and saying that very thing that they are obsessed with avoiding is what they are walking around. They are carriers of uncleanness. As Jesus says all of these things, perhaps good to keep in mind that he does not condemn all of the practices of the Pharisees. Many of the things that they were doing are good. But when they have their priorities mixed up, when, when it's all out of whack and they have, love this place of prominence and, and they're tithing so that others may see what they are doing, they're forgetting the inner love and life that God gives. It's dangerous to seek man's approval with the things that God has made. We must seek to honor him and seek to dwell and abide with him. There are three more woes in this passage which Jesus gives not uh, to the Pharisees but to the experts in the law and he shows that they are really two sides of the same coin. Uh, they're susceptible to the same kinds of mistakes and the same kinds of sin. The first woe shows the similarity. The experts in the law just like the Pharisees, they place these kinds of interpretations of the law that make obedience to the law extremely difficult uh, for people to achieve. Just to be safe, you should do this and this and this. And in placing all of these demands upon the people, they extend no help. They extend uh, no help to them. It would be like a a college professor deciding the night before a big exam that he's going to go back and redraft it. He's going to put on the exam all kinds of things that he's had in no lecture, and it's it's not on the study guide, but he's going to put all of this information and test his students on all of this stuff that he had never covered in class. See, the experts in the law place these heavy burdens on the people by having these difficult interpretations and then not helping them through it. Their unwillingness to help the people of God is contrasted by Jesus' willingness to help. 
What have we seen sort of coming out in Luke? Is Jesus, as he said last week, he is the light. His teaching is light. It has come to bring knowledge and understanding and uh, to, to teach people from all classes. So to keep the knowledge of God from the people who need to hear it, from the people who need to be taught, this is oppression and this is arrogance of the highest order. Using your mind, your greater understanding as a weapon against those who need to hear about God. Jesus gives them this rebuke. The second woe is the longest and it's the one that deals with these prophets The two examples that Jesus gives are Abel and Zechariah. It's the the first person who's murdered in the Old Testament and the last person who's murdered in the Old Testament. 2 Chronicles chapter 24 is where we read about the murdering, the stoning of Zechariah. Both of these men testified against sins of the heart, didn't they? Abel testifies against Cain who keeps back from God and does not offer a sacrifice that is pleasing to him. Zechariah is testifying against God at the, end of, at the end of the Old Testament, just when Judah is going to go into exile. He testifies against them as Judah is running after other gods, building idols and engaging in all kinds of horrible behavior. And they're both testifying to these inner sins of the heart. In that time, it was, would have been customary, in Jesus' time, it would have been customary to build these Uh, These tombs that were memorials to the prophets. And Jesus turns that around on the experts of the law. And he says, when you're building these memorial tombs, you think you're paying homage to Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the prophets of old. Let me tell you what you're actually doing. The way that you're living your life, you're showing that you are aligning yourselves with all those who rejected Isaiah in his day. All those who rejected Jeremiah in his day. Jesus says, you are the people of this generation. Just like the people who rejected the prophets of old are of this generation. They do not believe the word of God when it's declared to them. When it's taught to them, they demand signs. Those who will reject, rise up against, and eventually kill Jesus as our true prophet, they will be united together with all those who have rejected the truth of God in order to follow the idolatrous desires of their heart. The final woe names another shameful way of conduct that shows how Jesus and his ways are so completely opposed to the Pharisees and teachers of the law. At the end of this passage, we see how uh, the Pharisees become bent on catching Jesus in something that he has said. This really sets them at odds until... Uh, the cross, and they will not rest until they have Jesus and all of his movement squashed. But Jesus gives his third woe, his third woe to the experts in the law, and it relates to knowledge and teaching, uh, this idea of entering. And it has to do with the experts in the law who have kept the knowledge of God hidden. Just like the burdens they place upon the people, they would rather hide the truth then teach those with less intelligence, teach those with less training. So they obscure the meaning of God's word rather than openly stating the truth. But Jesus comes as a light. He comes as one calling people to follow him. He does not hinder those entering the kingdom, for he is the way of entering the kingdom. All of these woes remind us of what Jesus says about his purpose for coming to the earth. 
He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We learn in this passage, the Pharisees, the experts in the law, what is their, what is their problem? Their problem is that they do not see themselves as sinners. They see themselves as the righteous, as instruments of righteousness that have perfected law observance. Therefore, they enjoy it themselves in ignorance and they keep others from the truth of God. We read in Luke chapter 6 how uh, what Jesus says there is really manifested in the passage which is before us tonight. He said this, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. In other words, know you're a sinner. Be poor in spirit. Know that you need his help. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. You, don't, you can't nourish yourself. You can't get yourself through this life you need the blessing of God. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Don't act like this world is, is perfect and, and it's, it's the best happiness that you will ever achieve and that you need to just try and get all that you can. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Most people do the opposite. Advance your name. Advance who you are and your fame in the world. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Exactly what we just saw. Then Jesus says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. The, the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, loved people speaking well of them. Woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So, a few principles for our life as we close tonight. We must rest in Christ. We must rest in Christ, who is the healing balm of our souls. We must look to Jesus and understand that in Him and Him alone, we have the healing and the salvation that we need. Paul himself was a Pharisee. Remember in Philippians 3, he says, I had a reason for boasting if anybody did. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, member of the tribe of Benjamin, Pharisee, zealous, persecutor of the church. He abandons it all. Why? So that he might know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection, having a righteousness that does not come from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith, we have the righteousness that we need and that which God demands and that which Jesus shows us the law demands by looking inward. Secondly, we must seek fellowship with our great God. We must seek soul health. We must understand that a proper approach to outward things flows from the health of who we are inside. That is the Christian message, and and most of the world will have it flipped on its head. Transformation happens from the outside in. We say God changes us, and that's what determines what happens on the outside. We must be committed to the attitude of Jesus, the one who came to heal sinners. The church and the kingdom is a place for sinners. The Pharisees showed the opposite. Obscure the meaning, keep it from the people. Jesus comes explaining the meaning, welcoming sinners. Knowing that we all are sinners, we must all want to see people rejoicing in the salvation of Christ just like we have been blessed to do. And then finally, we must commit ourselves to open statements of the truth. 
and clear teaching about the gospel and our lives. This falls primarily upon the preacher, but all of us must be uh, committed to the truth and to the open statement of the truth. We must never allow wanting the recognition of men drive us to state something in an obscure way, to hide certain aspects of the truth. We must have conviction. Preachers and teachers without conviction will lead to churches without people because there will be no reason to come if there is not an open and a clear statement of the truth. So we look to Jesus. We are amazed at the salvation that he has. We give thanks that he came proclaiming that with him sinners are always welcome. He has come to heal us. He has come to give us the righteousness that we need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Apply it to our lives now by the power of your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's...